One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, I'm Steph. And I'm Simon. And this is The Food Fight, a frank discussion of food culture featuring Australia's top chefs, producers, and experts. We'll chat about real issues and go places others won't. This podcast travels throughout the country and we acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we gather and speak. And we pay respect to elders past, present and emerging. This week I speak to Josh Gregory, head chef of Muse Kitchen in the Hunter Valley. Josh was born and bred in the Hunter and spent his career working at some of the best regional restaurants in the state, avoiding the temptation felt by many regional chefs of moving to the city. We speak about what has kept him regional throughout his career, working under James Viles at Biota, the dining scene in the Hunter Valley, and some top tips for young chefs looking to advance their careers in regional areas. Okay, welcome along to another episode of uh, the Food Fight Podcast with me, your host, Simon Evans, uh, just me again in lockdown in Wollongong, uh, talking to uh, Chef Josh Gregory from Hunter Valley, currently at uh, Muse Kitchen, uh, also recently put in lockdown. How you going, mate? Oh, living the dream, mate, the lockdown <laughs> dream. <laughs> yeah, it's, I remember my first week in lockdown. Um, yeah, it's pretty, uh, pretty, pretty. Yeah, it's a hard one. It's yeah. a real, it's a real hard time, man. But yeah. that's all right. We got to do it, do the right thing, do what you can yeah, do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hopefully, it's not too much longer, but um, not mm. looking too bright at the moment. But um, might get into a little bit of that. Um, yeah. Um, good to chat to you, mate. We, we've uh, met up a couple of times and, and chatted over, over the years and kind of kept in touch. So it's good to have a little uh, a chat about what's been going on and what you're up to. Definitely, man. I think it's like it's so nice that you know you get this sort of community and it's being a chef it's the best because yeah you just get to meet all these awesome people and mm. yeah we've stayed in touch and it's been great you know it's awesome just to do stuff like this and chat yeah and yeah. yeah it was fun especially like being being regional which we're going to sort of talk about today um and for me as well not not kind of growing up here um i've always found this podcast great to have these conversations with with chefs i like that you wouldn't normally have so pretty uh, awesome to go so we're going to so I sent the chat around what it's like being a chef in regional areas of Australia. Obviously, you both have experience of that. Yourself and Hunter, me and Wollongong. Yeah. Um, let's just take us take us take us back to kind of where you started. Uh, what what your little, your little journey's been? What, what kind of got you into cooking? Go back the long way. All right. Well, I started off. Yeah, obviously, I'm from uh, regional New South Wales, a uh, little town called Brankston just outside of, uh, oh, it's about 40 minutes out of Newcastle. Um, yeah, grew up, sort of didn't really grow up surrounded by, you know, food, grandmothers and those things were always cooking, but I never really gave it much thought until I was working in a pot wash in a 
little restaurant called Leaves and Fishes. And I was like looking at the chefs and I was like, yeah, these guys are fucking rock stars, man. I want to work exactly like this. And um, yeah, so then I started my apprenticeship and um, I was pretty lucky that I got taken on by uh, Troy Rhodes Brown at Muse Restaurant mm. uh, very early on in my trade. And um, yeah, I did the majority of my apprenticeship through him uh, before I got the opportunity to go to London and work with Brett Graham at Ledbury uh, and then came back to uh, probably uh, arguably one of my largest influences as a, as a young chef uh, to work with James Viles at Biota Dining mm. uh, in the Southern Highlands, which was incredible and so challenging all at the same time. And um, then we sort of, uh, my wife, Jessica, and I, we were sort of in the Hunter. We were in the Southern Highlands for quite a bit. We were there for the uh, best part of three years. And um, then we were really sort of missing our home. We are missing family. We sort of tossed around the idea of opening our own place. And um, uh, the uh, guy who I trained with at News Restaurant, Frank Faulkner, he opened EXP. And um, he sort of said, oh, if you're interested, I'd be really keen to do something, you know, sort of together so we came back and we started working with him and um which was a sort of massive step to come home after working with James for so long uh and realize how much of a whilst you're working in regional restaurants the regions are so different I think Mm. which is um which is a, a big change both in your sort of mindset when it comes to cooking but in your mindset when it comes to um customers particularly like you know i think i think back now like the stuff that i the food that i cook now at muse kitchen is um so so radically different to the food that i cooked at biota that Mm. i think i really say to my guys all the time there's stuff even the things that we used to do at exp which was quite an experimental sort of kitchen uh I think, God, there's no way I could serve food like this now in this restaurant. It's really so much about that real cooking for your customer. Yeah. Regionality, I think, really specifies that a lot more. Yeah, I think, I think you're, more, you're more restrained with regional to that because you know you have a smaller customer base, um, a different clientele, and it's very hard to do something too individualistic or possibly too out there. because oh, like, definitely. Definitely an open restaurant. Um, so what, what made you choose Biota and going to another region over, say, going to Sydney or going to Melbourne? Obviously, you'd, you'd worked at Muse, you'd, you'd been, been got the Brett, uh, Brett Graham scholarship, had a, had a decent little resume working. Obviously, you could have got some jobs across the country. What, what, what made you go to Southern Highlands? Uh, there's a lot of reasons. I, we had looked at going into the city Um we look, you know, we looked at Key. We looked at all the incredible restaurants that are in there, and I just sort of, I'd met James uh, once before, and then he came down and did a cooking demo uh, at the Hunter Valley, and um, just listening to him speak about the connection that he has with produce and the connection that he has with farmers and going foraging, and you know, at the time I was just like so horny for anything that was Noma related. Um, <laughs> that it really just sort of uh, piqued my interest so much. And then uh, on meeting him, he said, you know, why don't you come down? It'd be great. And going to work there and just realizing the, 
the connectivity that he has just completely from the ground up talking to farmers from engaging with locals doing whatever that he could do that sort of is what grabs me and ultimately you know Jess and I wanted to open a regional restaurant so we mm. both sort of said if we want to open a regional restaurant we need to go to the best regional restaurants so it was that sort of call for us i think the whilst the draw card for the city is like you can work with incredible people and incredible chefs that are doing amazing things i don't i find it difficult that they get that same connection with with their locals with their growers you know it's very easy to for us here especially in the valley you know i call my i speak to my veg guy three times a week and if i don't like if i don't like the carrots then he can sort things out straight away it's hard to do that i think in the city because mm-hmm. you don't have that connection and that's sort of really what started it i would say my sort of mm-hmm. love for regional cuisine so what what do you think um gave you that mindset obviously as, as a young chef it's it's kind of hard to see outside what you're doing in the kitchen and, and I guess why city restaurants are appealing for a lot of people because what is on the plate is is kind of is very attractive um so what what, what was the first time you kind of really thought that having that connection with producers and farmers was was one of the more important things for you look I really think that after after we traveled overseas and we'd sort of done we'd seen a lot of the sort of best restaurants you know we dined as much as we could while we were mm. over there um I really sort of felt that the steps that it takes to get ingredients to a plate became so much more important. And then when we sort of started at Biota, you know, I thought I had an understanding about time and place. I thought I had an understanding mm-hmm. about where food comes from. And then, you know, when you go out to, we go out to, you know, the, she- the sheep farm that you're using every day, you're using their lambs, you're using their milk, you're using their cheese when you go to places like Pecora Dairy or things like that you um, realise you have no fucking idea about <laughs> sense of place or sense of time or honestly how hard these people work yeah, just to yeah. get ingre- just to get themselves out there, to get their ingredients recognised. And that sort of, I, I really think like James is a real driver in that for me, but, mm. you know, Troy as well uh, in my sort of really younger years as a chef always would put a, a real specific purpose on ingredients that he used and always talk about that you treat things with respect and you treat ingredients with respect because it takes this long you know a leak takes six weeks to grow and you fuck it in four minutes like it's that sort of it's that sort of uh, mentality that i think i don't know the the draw card of working in the city is is phenomenal and but i just don't think that it ever really appealed so much to me. I think as well, just mostly because I love nature and I love that contact in between. Mm-hmm. Is it the same for you? Yeah, it's. Um, I think I, I was you know, growing up in Wales and working in Wales. Um, I mean, it's, and still, I find I find it's hard with, with Australia when you talk about local. It's very different to the UK. Like we, when we're talking local, we, like in the UK, we used to, you know, we used to drive up the road. Like to grab our eggs from a little uh, box. Yeah, money. Um, like even some, like sometimes the cow, like the beef we'd have on would, would be from cows from like the field we could see from the restaurant. Like it was in the middle. Yeah, of the that's it. Nowhere, pretty much. So yeah, I, I, and that was the type of restaurant I worked at. Um, it was my first job, so I, I was very much ingrained in it. Um, probably to the point where 
I definitely, I mean, if I hadn't moved to Australia, I was planning on London, maybe Bristol, but definitely a, a city. So yeah. possibly even growing up in it, I still wanted those fancy plates of food. I wanted that, that you know, fancy London dining room. So sure. it, probably, probably being steeped in it and that just being the norm probably led me to looking for other things. So I think I found a bit of a you know happy happy medium in Wollongong. We've still got a, a, a slight city vibe, but oh, we're definitely. right in the middle of stuff that grows. So it's a good little balance there. But it's um, I mean it, it's also it's it's definitely the fashion with chefs. Um, you know everyone wants to talk about locality, sense of place. Um, especially you know five ten years ago, everyone was foraging. Everyone, oh, yeah. everyone was picking weeds from the fucking. I was, I was out there, mate. I've eaten so many plants, <laughs> you wouldn't even understand. Then <laughs> slapping it on. I think um, obviously what 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 James did was was actually using a lot of these wild ingredients in in the right way and in place, rather than just slapping on a dish for for sort of no reason. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I think like when you you know like young chefs are you you like a. You're like a puppy. You're looking for bright and shiny all yeah. the time. Yeah. But the, I think the the call of that sort of food, you know, I remember I remember the first time I flicked through Heston's Fat Duck and I thought molecular gastronomy was friggin' tits. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, this is the food that I want to do. This is, yeah. I want to weigh my stocks out to the <laughs> ground. Like all of that sort of shit that now I sort of realised, God, I, I wish I'd have paid more attention to things that the – you know, that my local CWA women were cooking because those are recipes yeah. that aren't going to be around anymore. And those, yeah. like, I think regionality and regional dining especially kind of, it establishes those bonds a lot, a lot easier within the community mm -hmm. rather mm -hmm. than, you know, cities have to make much more effort, I think, to find those bonds and find mm -hmm. those connections, not just between producer and ingredient but just in terms of community that's like the the biggest thing that we've sort of found especially opening the new restaurant in lawn is um it's so much about community and when you realize that you know you're actually you're actually cooking for people rather than cooking for yourself it's much more it's much more valuable i think yeah yeah definitely i think it's um the the I think what the sort of trend in cooking now is found a nice balance between that um, possibly that kind of that Nordic new Nordic feel and that um, molecular gastronomy of, of Spain and, and Europe. Yeah, the kind of mid mid two thousand. I think it's a nice balance there. But I think the the main thing is if you can take it if you take a shit piece of piece of meat, there's you there's no technique you can really do to make that a good piece of meat. Exactly. There's no, there's no weighing. There's no chemical. I mean, there's, there's some things you can play around with, but you really, I mean, it's, it's almost an old adage now. You have to start with good product. Um, yeah, definitely. Food. And if, and if you know, if you don't have that, it doesn't matter what you know, spherification you put on top of it. Yeah, um, it doesn't it, matter it, at all. It's not really good. If it's shit, it's shit. Exactly. Like, exactly. Yeah. So, um, tell us a little bit about Biota. How, how long are you there for? All that. Uh, I was there for uh, the best part of two years. Yeah. Um, and then we, or Jess and I did the uh, pop-up restaurant for James in Chippendale yeah, in cool. Sydney. Um, and yeah, I, like it was a, uh, it's without a doubt the most challenging part of my cooking career, I would say mm. much, you know, uh, 
being in the restaurant now is because, challenging. Because of the, the technique or the hours or the pressure? What, what, was, what was challenging? Uh, a combination of everything, I think. I really felt, you know, I'd just come back from London. I'd just come back from the Ledbury. I was a frigging two-star. I thought it was a dog's <laughs> bollocks. And then I sort of realised that I didn't, I didn't know shit and I didn't really understand how important, you know, how important simple cookery is. And, you know, James's food, whilst it is visually arrestingly beautiful i find that his simplicity is so steeped in technique mm. and yeah. i mean Brett, Brett's, Brett's food is isn't overly complicated and is, is quite i know he works a lot where he obviously used to when it was recently closed but used to work with a lot of farmers and, and would have access to oh, the game definitely was definitely. that just because you were obviously a, a small cog in a kitchen you didn't kind of uh, yeah and i was you know i was 23 i was too young for that yeah. kitchen i didn't even yeah. understand you know i didn't understand what half of the things that they were doing in there and yeah. i think that really sort of humbled me in the sense of you know yeah i won a competition to go and work there mm. and that sort of get you know 23 that you get the old ego stroke and you think you've got your chest on and then i was getting my ass handed to me by 17 year old chefs who'd done their <laughs> entire time with brett yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah learning in that in that sort of environment uh really changes the way that you sort of see yourself and the way yeah. that you how many, how many chefs were in the in the Ledbury? Uh, there was nine when I was there, plus yeah. the two that were on stage, myself included. Yeah. Um, okay. And then when we, yeah, when we came to Biota, I think the other thing that James does really well is pulls the best out of his team in the sense that we, there was four of us or there was five of us plus yeah. James. It was always a really tight team yeah. running. You know, it was it was one of the top restaurants in the country for a very long amazing, time. Amazing, amazing team while while you were there, especially. Like, oh, absolutely. Who's in, who in the kitchen with your biota? Well, Joel Joel Bigford was my head chef the entire yeah. time that I was there, and um, yeah, he was a massive impact for me, mostly for the fact that he could take all of James's completely off the wall ideas and. You could turn them into workable dishes that weren't mm -hmm. only workable from a flavor perspective because James would always have that sort of down, but have them workable from a service perspective. Yeah, um, yeah Joel's a cracking good chef, man. He's um, he's unreal. Yeah, and interested I, to see where he's going. Haven't spoken to him in a little while. Yeah, no, I don't. I, I haven't either, actually. I, I really, I'm so bad. I always say to you know, oh, I've really got to keep in touch with these guys, but you just never get yeah, chefs shit. all over. Like, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Next time we all have time. Yeah, it's like I mean, the one time we all have like weeks of weeks of time off, we're all locked down. So. Yeah, that's it. You can't do anything. <laughs> but um, I think I probably the most important sort of thing that I took away from James and working at Biota uh, is really that. Um, there's no point. There's no point to everything that we do if you don't base it around people enjoying what you do, and that's yeah. um, something that I've sort of really tried to drill into the chefs that I have underneath me now. And I think Troy is probably another great mentor for if you create something beautiful and you give people a reason to love it, then mm -hmm. they will love it. You know, that sort of old adage of if you build it, they will come is really yeah, yeah. like it really does ring true. I think especially in regional when people are looking for that 
I just want somewhere beautiful to go. I just want mm. somewhere, you know, beautiful to sit and have coffee. Those things really make a big difference, I think, for regional dining. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's just go back a little step. So I always thought that Hunter Valley was particularly good at um, bringing young chefs along. Obviously, obviously there is, for a small area, there's some great restaurants. Uh, oh, yeah. Which obviously helps. But the... Um, the is it the Hunter Valley Culinary Association? Are they yeah, called? yeah, the HCA. Yeah. Um, how how important were they um, in kind of helping your progression? Um, and obviously, you've done quite a few competitions. You've entered quite a few competitions. How important was was entering things like that to you uh, moving forward? Yeah, look for me as a young chef, the Hunter Culinary Association did so much, and I do think. It is something that you don't see in a lot of areas is that mm. there are people that are so genuinely invested in the young talent coming up. Um, yeah, you know, I did the I did the Brett Graham competition and it sent me overseas. I did the San Pellegrino competition that sent me all over the world. There's a million. Um, yeah, there's a lot of different things that I think were sort of also having people that are willing to give you a nudge and to say, you know, yeah. you're, you're, you're meant for big things. You can go and you can do them, go and go and get out and do them. And the Hunter Culinary Association in particular is really good at not only finding talented young people, but just encouraging people in the industry in general, because yeah. you know, like, I don't need to tell you how hard it is to get people excited to work a 16 hour shift in the kitchen. Yeah. But, um, I really think that they do a great job at presenting young chefs with opportunities rather than saying, you know, oh, you know, when I was a chef in TAFE, everybody would be like, oh, if you want to do anything, you want to do anything great, you need to go, you need to go to Sydney, you need to go yeah. to these yeah. restaurants. Or, And then I sort of was already working at a great restaurant. I was working at mm -hmm. Muse and Troy was like, well, I can show you everything that they can show you. Yeah. And you can stay here. And mm -hmm. it's the, I think the idea, the idea for me of always being, uh, being a big fish in a small pond kind of made it, made me go, well, I can stand out here or yeah. I can go to the city and just be completely swamped by amazing chefs because yeah. there's so yeah. many people. Yeah. Um, and I think the Hunts Culinary Association really do. They really emphasize on go do your time. We'll help you. We'll do, we'll send you to anywhere that you want to go. Mm. Bring it back. Bring it back to the hunter. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess what's so amazing is that we also you have nothing like that in Illawarra or the South Coast. Yeah. Um, and it's becoming even more important now with, with such a with it being so hard to find young chefs and to keep young chefs and then you know hospitality professionals in the industry. We, we, we need more things like that. And we need people who are willing to give their time and people are willing to give their money to encourage it. So it's definitely something I've, I've um, been aware of and I've sort of kept my eye on um, as something to potentially bring to the South Coast at some point. Because it's such a hard, such a hard thing, like especially in Wollongong South Coast, rest good restaurants to learn in are so few and far between. Oh, um, definitely. That a lot of the time, I mean, and it, and less now with with Cavo closing, and you know, we used to get a lot of lot of lot of young chefs come through in stage, or when we did have jobs going, we'd apply. And my advice generally had to be: if you're not working sort of here or you know a handful of other restaurants, then you're probably going to have to go go to Sydney. Yeah, um, that's and, and that's kind of always that's always like hurt me a bit because that, but that's just the reality of it. 
Absolutely. Um, and that's the advice that you have to offer to people. You know, we have the same sort of the same issues here. Like people will go, well, I did my time at Muse and then maybe I went to Subo or I did time at Restaurant Mason and yeah. Bistro Molinez. And then all of a sudden you go, well, you've kind of ticked them all off, mate. So yeah, what yeah. do you, and that next step, I think is the hardest, is the hardest thing for a lot of chefs. And I do still think it's why we lose so many of them to to city yeah. restaurants and yeah definitely yeah just getting that getting that offering and i you know i remember at biota it was the exact same it was like well you either work here here or here and then if you've done that what else do you do what's the yeah. next step for you yeah yeah because again that's the, the flip is like i'll exalt people who stay in regional i think there's there's so many advantages that we'll probably get onto in a second but if you can't get your foot in the door to start with, it's, it's a very hard place to be because um, then, yeah, like I said, it is just kind of moving to, to Sydney, I guess. Um, Absolutely. Just, there's just so few small, small, so, so few places for good chefs to, to work. Um, and that's always sort of an issue. Um, so you, your plan was to open a restaurant in, yeah, yeah, in the Hunter? Was, yeah, in the that, Hunter. That was your that was your ambition from the sort of start. What, what, um, what, what were you kind of thinking about doing, and um, what kind of restaurant were you thinking about about opening? Was was it kind of something where you knew from the start you'd have to be within a uh, kind of construct, or was it going to be something? Is it going to be something that is uh, is your kind of um, your, your your little food child? Look, we always wanted to do, you know. It's so it's such a hard question to answer because I think if you'd asked me that question when I was 25, I'd have said, you know, I want to open the Noma in Australia and that's what I want to do and I want to yeah. make sure that and I want to have 30 people working for me in an experimental kitchen and do all those bits and pieces. Whereas now, you know, you asked me at 31, I think if I was to open a restaurant now, I'd really much more focus on the kind of cooking that I do now at Muse Kitchen is mm. where it's based in. It's based in everything just needs to be fucking delicious. And we use the best of the best of what we can use that's local and we support the community in those sorts of aspects. And I think now when you're young and I'm sure, you know, you remember as well, it's you feel like all of the accolades and all of those things are so important to you mm. and you push so hard for all of those things. And then you kind of realise, fuck, man, I'd really just rather have a busy restaurant every single day. And I think, yeah. you know, if there's anything that lockdown screams to me, it's just how much I miss cooking a busy yeah. service yeah. more so than, yeah, that I miss, you know, putting things onto, putting individual flowers onto plates with tweezers. I just miss getting jam during service. Yeah, definitely. I've been um, just, just watching like old Ramsey episodes. Oh, yeah. Just like give myself that little bit of a rush whilst I'm bored. Hundred percent yeah, delicious. Yeah. Just I need to shout nothing better, exactly. Nothing better than watching Ramsey just nail some <laughs> chef for cooking scallops <laughs> in too much oil. <laughs> so I've, I mean, you touched on it just a minute ago with um, kind of being that big fish in a small pond. I think I think that that kind of has negative connotations to it, but I've always felt that's it's kind of an advantage. It's it's allowed me to follow a bit more of my own path and. I didn't have to build my resume like a lot of chefs did. I, I was like, I was kind of able to spend time in restaurants. Um, yeah, for sure. I think kind that of, that's... Uh, my skills. And I found that it, may, may, it meant like I could kind of choose 
when and where I progressed as well. Like I sort of held myself back. I like, you know, could have taken a head chef job somewhere in Wollongong, but I held myself yeah. back and kept working and ended up buying a restaurant. Um, did you agree with that? Do you agree that that's kind of a, a benefit? of working? Yeah, I, comple- I completely agree. You know, it's okay. It's seen as like, yeah, you're the big fish in the small pond. You didn't push yourself outside of your comfort zone. It's not mm-hmm. about, in the end, we like the best chefs in the world do the exact same jobs as you and I. So in the end, I really think it's more about your own journey and the way that you the way that you represent yourself through your food is so much more important than building a resume based around working at the best of all restaurants. I think it's so much more, I try and sort of say this to my younger chefs now, it's much, it's much more important to have an understanding of yourself to put that into your food than it is to carbon copy other people's dishes and i don't know if you agree simon but i think like fine dining restaurants don't necessarily build phenomenal chefs you get very good at repetition get very good at plating up but it doesn't necessarily teach you strong foundational basics of building shit that is based around it being fucking delicious instead of it being so pretty that gourmet traveler wants to take a photo of it for the front cover. Like, I think that is, I, I, it's, it's changed so much for me because I used to think that that was the be all and end all for food. Mm. And it was so much about, you know, how many borage flowers can I put on this and how many, you know, freaking upside down mustard flowers do I need to go out and pick at 2am <laughs> in the morning. Yeah. But now so much more, I sort of realize people whilst food is beautiful it's it's beautiful already before we do anything to it so why don't we just focus on utilizing what is already good and if we can do something that helps that process along and give people an understanding of you know how much effort goes into the produce that we use then that's so much more important to me now yeah um and that that idea as well of you know we're talking about being the the big fish in the small pond it's it has, like you said, it's helped steer my own path as well in the sense of, yeah, I probably could have taken a head chef's job as soon as I left Biota and I could have had plenty of those sort of opportunities come along. But I, it was, I wanted to do something with Frank, who's my best mate, who we then got to open this awesome restaurant together that's now just going from strength to strength and mm-hmm. he's doing incredible things all the time. Um, and then sort of getting the opportunity uh, when I'd finished up at EXP, you know, we thought we were ready to go and open a restaurant. And then uh, Megan, my current boss, sort of said to me, I really want you to come to have a look at Muse Kitchen. And I just sort of thought, yeah, well, it kind of makes sense. It makes sense for me to go back full circle, go back to where I started and, um, yeah, see, kind of see that progression out and just being just being back in the kitchen there is you know really changed the way that i look at food and it's changed the way i cook definitely yeah it's awesome i think um one thing i try and get into young chefs is 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 your fit in a kitchen is 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 as important as as a lot of, of where you're working um if you find somewhere that you like and you enjoy it for one, that's huge because going to work when you don't enjoy a job, it's, it's very hard to get passionate to learn. Completely agree. So, I mean, sucks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, and, and finding your place, like if, if you're someone who loves regimentation and 
you love, you know, having your chucks perfectly folded beside you and, yeah. and yeah, everything lined up. And then, you know, one of those big kitchens might suit you for a bit. Um, but I think chefs have to realise that you might spend at least six months on, you know, garnish section where you're, you're picking herbs. Yeah, that's um, it. Which is why you, I mean, a lot of time you can't, you can't trust a lot of people's resumes when there's, you know, maybe they're, you know, they're 26 and there's eight restaurants on there. You're like, well, yeah. how long have you spent each one? What have you actually done in that restaurant? I think you'd get a lot more out of working in a small team where they're going to let you fillet some fish. They're going to let you do some butchery exactly. um, and, and work there for two years and learn some stuff rather than, you know, do do two years in two, three hat restaurants and, and possibly not learn anything. So I think fit's a big thing. Did you Have you found that that has led you to where you wanted to work as much as um, you know, the, the name above the door? Oh, completely. I also think as well that that idea, you know, of it's fantastic to go out and experience new kitchens. But yeah, like exactly like you said, you need to understand that in these larger kitchens, you are, especially at a junior level, you are a number, you're a cog in the massive machine, Mm. you know. And I think that that is, whilst you you might learn and I'm sure you learn and you pick things up along the way that, yeah, you would, I would rather be involved with, you know, I was lucky enough that when I was with Troy, when I was an apprentice, you know, I got to cook, I got to cook main course and I had a restaurant yeah, yeah. at 22. That's just yeah, yeah. like unbelievable. And even, you know, to the point where he would, he would allow me to sit in and talk, talk through menu items and those things. You don't get to do that in. in yeah, that, that's also huge. Find, finding a head chef who's willing to actually give you the time. I think yeah, that, absolutely. that's worth so much more than having a you know a couple of two hats and a three hats that you find someone who's willing to take the time because like as as you'll 100 agree because everyone once they work their way up to head chef agrees you don't get taught so much of the shit you need to know and do as a head chef no way no like, way no one and, s- that. No, like, they, and simply they, for the fact that they don't have time yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's i think you know like we try i, I really try hard to show to not just to not just teach people how to cook and how to do things, but to teach them, you know, the ideas of this is what it's like to run a kitchen. This is what it's like to run a pass. You need to understand that people learn differently, that people take things, take feedback differently. None of of that shit sort of mattered when you're getting chewed out every (laughs) two hours by, you know, by your head chef. But like, and that's, I think, is a real sort of step towards the, the modern kitchen, that sort of archaic notion of the head chef that's unapproachable and, yeah. uh, you know, is just a bastard to work under, yeah. um, but you've got a good name on your resume. I think yeah. that's kind of gone out the door in so many ways with this sort of later generation of chefs, this younger generation of chefs in particular, because I think like they think, well, I don't need to. I don't need to work in a place where I get bollocked and screamed at every two minutes because there's fucking great restaurants where I don't get that. So I'll just go yeah. and work there. Yeah, for sure. I remember I did um before I moved here, I started the two Michelin star restaurant, um, the Champignon Sauvage in Cheltenham, and mm. I was pretty. It was a small restaurant. He was, actually, he was one of the, David was one of the sort of first chefs to really, really actually forage and not be a dickhead about it. In yeah. the UK and use things properly, which is pretty awesome. But I just remember going to that kitchen a little bit nervous. Like it was a stage, but it was a small kitchen and it was just so calm. And everyone was having like a good time, having a good laugh, like talking shit, listening to music, and service yeah. came, it was real serious. And the same thing, it was well, there was there was four of us, including the owner David and, and me. 
And like by, by a couple of days, like I was, you know, allowed to like cook scallops and cook some of the stuff that I was comfortable with um, yeah. in this group as a starch. And I was like, and that just was a big eye opener for me that for one, you could have a restaurant of that quality at two Michelin stars. And they had been for 20 years old or so mm-hmm. um, without being a dick, um, with it being calm and, and composed and professional. And that, that was a pretty big, big eye opener for me. So I guess the point being is that there's, there is city restaurants that aren't. I mean, we, we might be stereotyping city restaurants a bit. <laughs> yeah, regional, like, they're all fucking. We're, we're regional. We're allowed exactly, to. <laughs> but um, like it's about fit, and you can find that whether it's regional, whether it's anywhere else. Um, what do you think are some of the disadvantages of um, of being a regional chef? I always found that getting getting you know the media to notice you, building a profile, things like that are always a little bit bit bit, bit more struggle. Oh, definitely recognition. I think recognition in yeah in any sort of regional restaurant and. You know, we were the same at Bayada, even though, you know, James was doing all these amazing, incredible things. It was still just so hard to get a reviewer. Just to get yeah. a reviewer out is yeah. is insane, And you know. Um, and, yeah, I think the Hunter Valley in particular does kind of, it does get overlooked in terms of those, uh, in sort of media recognition and those sorts of things that it's, it is just seen as just a, a wine region and it's mm-hmm. not particularly despite the fact that, you know, there are incredible restaurants out here, it's um, it's very difficult to be picked up. And I really only think it's changed probably in the last five years. And I would have to say that the majority of it is like because of Troy um, yeah. Yeah. In, the, in the sense that Muse just continues to forge ahead. Mm-hmm. And um, he really, he really does champion other people and other restaurants, which is like, unreal because he's just yeah super humble and honest dude and um yeah i always consider myself so lucky to have worked there in the formative years of that restaurant yeah but i always think a a a good restaurant can be rated by what chefs have worked there and what they've gone on to do definitely Um, definitely. muse it seems like there's not a hunter valley chef who hasn't Set set foot in that kitchen yeah, at some yeah. point. Yeah. And, if you yeah. didn't work for Robert Molinares, you worked for Troy. Yeah, Rose yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, uh, you've all kind of moved around. So I mean, that, that's a great sign for one. It shows what um, an amazing environment he's, he's created there to to have lots of great chefs come through the kitchen. Mm, absolutely, and I think that like in terms of in terms of recognition, uh, the Hunter Valley is slow in the sense as well that I don't know whether it's a tall poppy thing or, but a lot of chefs seem hesitant to put themselves out there. There's incredible restaurants out here that you wouldn't even know about if, you know, if you didn't live out here. And I'm sure it's the same where you guys are. Like, yeah, yeah. 100%. I think, um, yeah, people definitely have a bit of an underdog mentality from regions. Um, Absolutely. And it's probably, it's probably hard because you're not, because you're not sort of surrounded quite so much by the hospitality industry, it's kind of hard to know how good you are, especially when you don't get reviewers come out and you might get that one review in the Good Food Guide, which is always a a little bit vague and doesn't tell you too much. Other than that, it's very hard to compare yourself to other people. Absolutely. I think we are always in so much more of a panic in the kitchen when we find out other chefs are dining than we are in terms of reviewers because, you know, you want to stand up next to your peers yeah and i think like in terms of yeah in terms of knowing what you can do i I find like um social media in particular for young chefs has become like can be so intimidating because you look Mm -hmm. at the chefs and the quality of their stuff 
And okay, it's all on a social media feed and you don't yeah, know if yeah. it took it 10 hours to plate that dish. But mm-hmm. I think that that is, yeah, trying to trying to figure out where you kind of sit and where you stack up against the, you know, mm-hmm. particularly when you're talking about, you know, hatted restaurants and those sorts of places, you kind of measure yourself in, the, in those sorts of ways that, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that you don't get outside of, you know, like I, I remember being in, like being in Biota and we were like, top of the tree and then there was 12 people coming for dinner yeah, on a Friday yeah, night, you know, yeah. and it's, I think that's the, the difficult thing about regionality as well is that, yeah, that customer. customer. I think that was, that was our biggest, um, probably the thing holding us back the most to Cavo we felt was, so we try and implement, um, you know, pre-service meeting. Mm. Like, you know, like every, every great restaurant does and, you know, everyone, everyone yeah. gets the, you know, finds out how many covers, dietaries, who's in, blah, blah. All the briefing. It's really hard to do that when you've got two casuals starting at six, two yeah. coming at six thirty. You've got, no, got you've got a couple bookings till seven, and then someone then the dishes coming in late. A chef start like it's really hard to do that, and then it's even hard to do that when you sit down on a Tuesday and you go four booked tonight, no dietaries. Yeah, and everyone Absolutely. goes. Absolutely, it's just and you go. It's deflating. And we, we used to we used to always start these meetings and we have like great hopes and to keep going. Yeah. And you just hit you'd hit a quiet couple of weeks and you just stop doing them. Like no one would yeah. no one would mention them again. And you stop that. It's really hard to keep your motivation, keep your consistency, um, and even getting your team kind of uh, like match ready. Definitely. Um, like Definitely. that's always been very hard. Is that you know you're gonna go you have you have winter and you're gonna be pretty quiet and then you suddenly hit summer and it's all guns blazing and you're suddenly expected to do twice as many covers. Yeah, that, that has been very very hard to deal with and very hard to take the next step in that sense. I think always as well you go from and I'm sure that you know Illawarra area Wollongong is definitely the same. Is that weekend trade is so massive yeah. that you end up with like this. Oh, I want to try and want to try and pull some hours out of my guys. I'd like to, you know, get them down under the fifty hours sort of mark, and then mm-hmm. go. Well, shit. I need I need everybody to work two doubles on Saturday, Sunday. There's no yeah. question that that's yeah. what we're working. And then in the midweek, well, okay, we might only have 15, 16 people coming for lunch, but we've got you know ten hours worth of prep because the weekend yeah. we're going to do one hundred and forty. Yeah, and those those sorts of challenges in regionality i think you know they always say it's easier to run a busy restaurant yeah. um i think it's those are the big the biggest sort of challenges particularly you know being more so as a head chef now i think that yeah i try to take care of the guys as much and you want to keep them motivated as much as you can mm-hmm. and and it's i've always find it i've always found it fairly easy to motivate myself but motivating others and realizing that people need they need that out of you a lot as yeah, well. You have yeah. to be that driving force of energy and that. And some days, like God, when you look at the reservations and you go, yeah. "Fucking Christ!" Like uh, we worked, we worked fourteen hours today, and we did fucking twenty people. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Just you, just kind of, it's hard to be that positive guy all the time. But I think uh, so much more now, uh, this generation of chefs, and uh, they they look to the leader much more than. I think I, I don't know. I didn't ever really, I didn't ever really look at my head chef to to keep me motivated, and I looked at my team a lot when I was younger. I think I don't know if you're the same. Yeah, um, we. I mean, Cavo in the early days, it was uh, a lot of lot of fear as motivation. Oh, for um, sure. 
So, yeah, I mean, trying to think what, what kind of would push me. Like, I generally had a, was pretty, I mean, Kavoe was, there was, you know, before I took over, it was me, it was me, the owner, and like two of us. And then we used to have like a, a school based apprentice come in and do Friday yeah. Saturday if he was busy. So it was literally just me and, and it was getting, you know, just get, get your shit ready. So I guess you said that kind of, but I definitely didn't look to the head chef to motivate me um, and to push through. I guess you just kind of, kind of moved on it. But definitely um, it's something, it's another skill you have to learn as a, as a head chef is how to keep that team going, how to keep them on track, um, how, to, how to keep consistency when it's quiet. Like, you know, the thing I bang on so much is, is you're set up by six o'clock, no yeah. matter what. I don't yeah. care if there's not into seven. You've got two like, people coming in, you got 200 yeah. people coming yeah. in, set up at like, the same time. Yeah, because the, the, the worst shit I've been in probably is when you, you're just not ready at the right time. And it's, like, it's always been quiet nights. Like you might have like 10 booked, no one in till seven, but then you get like a table of four book at six and then yeah. you get a table of four book at 7.30 last minute. And suddenly what is still not a busy night, you are fucking scrambling for. In the week. Because you're not set up and you're just yeah. like, oh my God, we're going to make this so hard. And then same now, it's like some, probably some of the hardest shifts we've had at Bangalore have been fairly quiet shifts where people just mm. aren't ready. And yeah. it's, um, I'll reiterate again to any young chefs who might be listening, get fucking set up. <laughs> Just oh, get set up, please. please. Just like, get fucking set, honestly, please. Just the best advice any young chef can have is just absolutely get your done. Get set up. Just get your set up because you'll be much better then. Yeah, um, I think yeah, the exact it, same. But it's hard to build that when when you haven't got that consistency. So that that yeah, that's definitely been one of the biggest, um, one of the hardest hardest things, one of the big disadvantages. I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think as well. I find in terms of. You know, those quiet services and, you know, you touched on that maintaining consistency. I find I'm at my highest trigger points on a, on a quiet service and you, and you pick it, absolutely yeah. everything. The guys say you're like a fucking tiger in a cage when the services <laughs> are quiet. And yeah. that's and it, it, you do start to look at it and you, it's very hard to go. And I don't know if you feel this way as well, but when you're head chef and you, and you think like, fuck it's quiet like is it me is it something i'm doing wrong here is that yeah. those those ideas of self-doubt like really really creep in for me definitely uh on those on those quiet services especially in you know taking over muse kitchen where it's been such a formidable restaurant for so long yeah. to then be in charge and go well, fuck it's a pretty quiet week this week is it yeah. something i'm doing am i doing something wrong yeah, definitely. We, I mean, Cabo especially, and, and some of the food we did and the changes we made um, definitely hit our hit our bottom line in a lot of ways. So mm. it was it was constantly, and you know, we 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 would have we we just have periods where we were we were real busy and everything's going great and everyone seems to love it, and then periods where you're just dead, and it definitely 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 can affect you and, and make you double think things and think things over, and you know, like. Even things like, oh, do we need to do a, a you know, are we too expensive? Is the menu too long? Is it too scary? Do we need to pull it back? All these things. There's definitely um, a lot, a lot more pressure there, um, and it's very hard to tweak things. Then, once you said it, if you keep changing, that's that's very hard for people to kind of understand. Yeah, um, but then you also have to be very aware that price, um, you know, the length of your menu, 
everything makes a makes a real difference um, in regional, and it definitely makes it in a city as well. But it just seems to hit a little bit harder in regional when when people when you're trying to get locals in and people on holiday and everyone in between. Mm, absolutely, I think as well. There's that real feeling of trepidation in that you go, well, this has worked for us before. It's very it's very difficult to move on from those things. Oh, you know. We used to do this and it worked so well two years ago or it worked for the last head chef really well. Yeah, but it's, yeah. it's hard to then go. I think in the city, because there's that consistency of trade, there is those just the sheer volume of people in mm-hmm. the area it means that they have a more consistent trade. It's, it is easier for them to make those sort of, those sort of decisions. Oh, I want to add three courses to the menu tonight. Sweet. But bump the price up by 10 bucks. Bump the price up by $10 here. I'll have a fucking walkout, man. That's yeah. like, just the that's the reality. And I think yeah. when you when you start looking at the I also think as well, there's a lot more when you're in regional restaurants, I think there's a lot more focus on what other people are doing. What are, what are the other restaurants doing? What are these guys doing? What are they yeah. doing? And I think that's really difficult in the sense that, yes, you want to maintain your own path and you want to cook your own food and you want to take a restaurant in a certain direction. But I also think that, you know, you still want to make sure that is my food relatable? Do people mm-hmm. actually give a shit about what I'm cooking? Is mm-hmm. it delicious enough to pull those locals, to pull the tourists? Is it yeah. Yeah. is it comfortable enough to cook for locals? And then is it also interesting enough to get people to come and stop at the restaurant? Is a very mm-hmm. hard point to find, I think. How, how have you found the switch and, and that the way customers react from, from EXP to, to Muse Kitchen? CXP tasting menu, um, a bit more on the sort of chefy side of things. There was, there was more out there stuff. Um, yeah, for sure. Whereas Muse Kitchen, very much based on just very tasty plates of food with good ingredients. As did you find the customers were were hard at EXP and people just didn't get it? I think it's EXP was very much for Frank and I. We were two young guys who it was a. It was an awesome combination and also it was a really bad combination in the sense that we would just constantly push ourselves to do better to the point where services just became fucking impossible because we were like cooking, you know, we'd make friggin' mirror glazed birthday cakes for people and just to give them away. And those, these, because we were like pushing each other, we were young and we were like, yeah, fuck yeah, this is what studio in Copenhagen's doing <laughs> two-star restaurant let's copy those like yeah and we sort of the trade off of that was that yeah people thought it was a really exciting restaurant to dine in and mm-hmm. it still is but it really wasn't until I'd left that I think Frank as well you know he gave me so much control in that restaurant which was unreal uh because you know it's his business it was his mm. at the end of it all it was his house on the fucking line yeah um and you know we would constantly push each other and develop more and more but it wasn't really until i left that i think frank even himself realized actually i need to take a step back from this and look at how can i still do my stuff that's a little bit out there yeah. but how can i make that more relatable for the diners and yeah, I think now he's got the real perfect balance. Whereas before we were very much, what can we do next? And, you know, when you get, when you get a good rush of ideas, 
you don't spend time thinking about tweaking them or you just go on to the next idea. I've put that on a plate. Now I want to do something different. Now I want to do the next thing. And I think that makes an exciting place to dine. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. From a customer's perspective, but it doesn't necessarily give you a restaurant real longevity. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. Um, Yeah. I I think back, especially like year one at Caveau and I think of some of the dishes we did. I don't know. I get doing some bad. I feel like we'll back most of them, but we were just pretty out there. Like we did a, we did a, a <laughs> and this one's so slow. We did a, like a whole pork dinner. So we bought in two whole pigs mm. um, and like pushed it on social media and had heaps of um, good feedback. It was like, like 200 comments and like 500 likes on this pig dinner. And we're like, oh, it's yeah. a big, big one. First thing we had, we had like 30 people booked. So we had a half booked restaurant. Yeah. So awesome. we still got, these, still got these two pigs. We still wanted to play with them. So it was good fun. Yeah. That. And we wanted to use as much as we could. So we even went up to the abattoir so we could get the blood from that pig yeah um, and we did um pig's blood meringues mm. so people people who don't know you can whip pig's blood and then sweeten it stabilize it and you can make it into like meringue and then on that dish we, we wrote pig's blood on it but didn't really say what the pig's blood was on that mm. dish we did a bright red raspberry sorbet as well yeah. So most most of those dishes came back with the raspberry sorbet still not eating the raspberry. Because everyone, no, everyone thought that was the blood. Everyone <laughs> yeah, ate, yeah. ate the the tangy weird meringues that we yeah. had. Didn't realize. And I think back to that, I'm like, fucking hell. That was like in like month three or something. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Why? How are we so brave and stupid? At the same Absolutely. Time? Absolutely. Like, and just the things like that. And yeah, definitely similar. Like we, you know, we were left to do whatever we wanted. And I say this a lot. Like we. We didn't put any hooved animals on for like 18 months just because we were enjoying using venison and emu and kangaroo and, and all these yeah. animals. And looking back, we're just like, well, that, that probably explained why we got quieter. Like, yeah, like, that's exactly, exactly. It's a tough thing customers again. But I think we had, you know, we had to, and I imagine Frank's the same. You, had, you have to go through that a little bit to find out your style, what you want to do, like what does work, what doesn't work, what, even what customers like. Because you don't know, like, you know, there's plenty of restaurants that do fucking weird shit and get a cult following. Oh, absolutely. Very few and far between, which is the, is the problem. Yeah. But That's I guess it. There's also plenty of weird restaurants that do incredible shit that shut. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, that, I mean, that's an interesting one. And that's probably, I guess I, I go through two minds of region. I think if you're in a city and you have a, a bad month, that can shut you. Whereas regional, yeah. you can have a bad month and normally you're low, your overhead's a bit low and you can kind of get through. Um, but like you can have months and months and months where it's quite regional and that, that's tough business. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely, that's absolutely true. I think as well, there's the city as well. You can have, you can have a bad review and it'll shut yeah. you in the city. Whereas yeah. there is so much more, there is that real sense of community and you do get the locals that are, that are going to support you regardless. You know, mm. um, I'm sort of, you know, there's, there's been plenty of times where we've had, you know, locals come in and they go, I'll get feedback from a waiter that go, Josh, they fucking hated that. And, and you know, you kind of have to go, yeah, okay, I'll take, I take that on board. And yeah, like, okay, it was probably a bit, it was probably a bit different. I'm, you know, still happy to push the boat out on some dishes and it's constantly finding that line. But I still know that they're going to come back. They're going to come back and support the restaurant. They're going to, yeah, yeah. because, because they're, that's, that's what they do. That's that sense of community. Whereas, you know, if somebody gets a fucking soggy French fry in a city in the restaurant, they're blacklisted on every fucking social media site 
yeah. here, there, and everywhere, which I think makes it harder. Yeah. How how do you find the the Hunter Valley uh, customers when you get such a a broad range? Like you know, you can you can be at a restaurant. They can be um, you know some chefs, some some locals, and then a table of of lads on a on a bucks party or a load of, load of girls on a hens party. <laughs> How, yeah, it how, definitely, how, do you, how do you balance that and how, how much do, does that kind of affect your menu? It makes for it makes for challenges, but like I always think that if you and it's it's something that like honestly Brett Graham used to just drill into all of his chefs. If you just make people go, fuck, that is the most delicious thing I've ever eaten, how mm. can you lose? Yeah, it, yeah. It doesn't it doesn't matter. So that sort of is the driving force behind everything that we sort of cook at Muse Kitchen. Mm. And I think that provided that you always keep that in mind and you keep that idea of everything we do has to be as delicious as we possibly can. If you don't get too bogged down in the the chefy shit, which is easy to find yourself trapped in, um, I think that then people are much more eager to trust you and they're 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 happy to come along your journey. And whilst they they might not enjoy every aspect of it, you know, I'm I'm lucky in the sense that Megan's service is just so friggin' immaculate that they yeah, yeah. take care of so much and bear so much of the brunt of my shortcomings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's key. That's key. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Um, I was gonna start to wrap it up a little bit. Let's um what what are some of your your tips for cooking competitions for young chefs? I know it's something a lot of chefs want to do. A lot of chefs really don't do it because they're they're apprehensive or scared. What's a couple of uh, things you learned along the way? God, tips for entering competitions. The biggest tip is just enter a mate. Like just give it a crack because okay, you oh fucking lost loads more than I ever won. Yeah. And yeah. that I think what you sort of really see particularly in regional areas, you know, we talked about how hard it is to stack yourself up against your peers. But when you're a young chef and you're entering these competitions, they're your peers. They're the guys, you know, the guys that I did competitions with 10 years ago are the guys who are running restaurants now because they're the guys that had that, I'm going to push myself to do a bit more. I'm going to work that little bit harder than the next guy. And you make those relationships with people. I still talk to the guys that I did break Graham with, which was, 10 years ago now yeah yeah. um and that's yeah and they're both doing incredible things all all over the place and that's i think really key the other thing is try and try and not get caught up in i need to do the absolute best thing that i can do truly Mm -hmm. i think you know i'll very happily say i won the brett graham competition not necessarily because I was the best chef in the room. It was because I was the best chef on the day. I made smart decisions when it came to my menu. I kept things flavor-focused, and I thought about ease of service in a situation where you're so stressed and under so much pressure. And I always try and, you know, even in in San Pellegrino especially, the pressure has turned up a lot more. You're looking at some of the best chefs, the best young chefs in the country. Um, and Yeah, I always just sort of thought, well, if I can just do what I do and stick to what I know rather than trying to blow them, blow the heads off everybody and do something completely out of my skill set, you're much better off and in a better position. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I mean, um, 
definitely something. It was something I was considered when I was a bit younger, too old now. Yeah. Um, and always thought I might do it, and then never did. I think I did. I did, did uh, a colleges one back in Wales, and we mm. did second, which we were fucking robbed of. I might add. Like when, when I look back at the food we were doing, it was it was it's hysterical old uh, yeah. college bistro food. Uh, wrap pork wrapped in like ten different things. It was amazing. Um, yeah, it's definitely. I think it's uh, it's something I, I possibly regret a little bit of not not just. Um, no, I was probably just too drunk most of the time. It was, I just moved here. I was excited. Um, I think as well, like it's it's more important that if you are th- if you're a young chef and you're thinking about getting into competitions, just think about the people that you're going to meet. And yeah, I yeah. think that has been so much more beneficial to me. You know, just even to sit in the same room with chefs like Dan Hunter, Peter Gilmore, Mark yeah. Best, like those guys are. For me, when I was a young kid doing these competitions, that was like meeting, you know, fucking rock stars, man. These guys are at the top of the industry. And just to get a chance to sit down and have a conversation with them and that they, you know, they wouldn't remember me from Bar of Soap now, but I think that it's much, it's so much more fundamentally as a young chef, you go, well, God, like these guys are giving their time. They're, you know, and yeah. you get you get those opportunities when you're in when you put yourself out there and when you're in those competitions and they do definitely help along the way and people yeah. do remember you know people do remember oh we met at yeah. this or you know we met at this and yeah con- contacts are so important and and especially like we said earlier for regional chefs any chance you can get to to meet other other young chefs um you know established chefs well known chefs I think everyone should take it. This is definitely uh, some good advice there. Mm. Um, so what's uh, what's anything coming up for you, Josh? Obviously, the Lawn Restaurant, which opened last year. Yeah, last year we opened pretty much. Uh, it was kind of a a bit of a madness idea that we had through COVID last year. Was mm. um, yeah, we thought, well, fuck, we got nothing else to do. Why don't we open a restaurant? Um, so yeah, it kind of grew out of this idea that we wanted to do something again that was really community focused and kind of build on, build on what we do at Muse Kitchen. But we always sort of feel Muse Kitchen in the Hunter Valley is um, still such a destination restaurant for a lot of people. And it's so reliant on those tourism Mm -hmm. uh, coming through. But when we thought about lawn, we sort of sat down and we, Megan and I said like, what do you, really want to do and we just said you know we want to give people the experience of muse kitchen without necessarily having to pay you know 105 dollars for three courses and sit down and make a sort of massive big lunch yeah. out of yeah. out of it we wanted it to be sort of like a neighborhood restaurant is really yeah. what we wanted to do and yeah that was um yeah so that's been you know that's been going gangbusters up until you know the government shut us down but um, uh i think that uh, in the future, like I really just want to keep focusing on pushing the Muse Kitchen brand forward and um, just trying to get, yeah, the Valley in general is um, just this melting pot of great chefs and great ideas at the moment. And there's so many sort of restaurants out here. And I think that the more that we, the more that we push and the more that we grow and develop, then there is going to be that recognition and you know, it's got such a recognition for wine and a tourism industry uh, now, but I still think it's undervalued for food. Same as Wollongong and the Illawarra area, mm-hmm. same as the Southern Highlands, really. Like yeah, they don't yeah. get that 
don't get that chance where they're looked at. And I do think it's about it's about putting the good restaurants out there. It's about putting yourself out there as a chef. Um, that's the yeah, that's my main sort of goal going forward. Awesome, sounds good. Um, it's been great to talk to you, mate. Good to catch up. <laughs> you too, man. You good, too. Good for, uh, was it Monday? I've lost track of days. Good. Yeah, to- man. <laughs> so they just lead, lead into one horrible mess all the yeah. days. Uh, thanks so much, mate. Uh, thanks no, so much. It was awesome. Hello, dear listeners, Steph here. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of The Food Fight. If you want to get in touch with us, it's at The Food Fight Podcast on Instagram or The Food Fight Podcast at gmail.com. We want to hear from you and we want to talk to you. Please. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.